This episode is sponsored by Shoutout, a two-way text messaging and campaign management platform that provides analytics and facilitates conversational messaging that delivers, engages, and converts more. Send personalized campaigns from unique phone numbers to the message content itself, letting you brand your campaign to promote yourself and create your messages in a way that users are made to think you sent it personally for them. You can then monitor and improve your campaigns over time with real-time analytics. Start reducing messaging and campaign costs with cost-effective bulk SMS. Scale efficiently without having to worry about high costs. If you'd like to start using mass texting services with simple packages to choose from, visit GetShoutOut.com today. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about bootstrapping a seven-figure ARR SaaS company with only two people using product-led growth. Today, we have our guest, Espen Fries Jensen, joining us. Espen is the co-founder and CGO at Userflow, which offers the fastest and most user-friendly onboarding flow builder for SaaS and online businesses in the market. Prior to Userflow, Espen co-founded Cobalt.io to over 200 plus employees, uh, which he then stepped down from in the beginning of 2021 to focus on Userflow. He has a background as an Accenture consultant with more than three years of experience in test and deployment management, as well as for global IT implementation. So welcome, Espen. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District Show today. Thank you. I'm also excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So I want to learn about this, right? This is your superpower, right? You found this product-led growth strategy that you know lets you build a massive company with you know only two people, which is which is fantastic. Uh, but let's start at the basic level. What is product-led growth, aka you know PLG? Um, what is your definition of it? And uh, you know maybe help the people who are who are new to this, you know, think about it. Yeah, I think there are kind of two ways of looking at it. Um, one is, uh, and that's more a cultural mindset, is that you should think uh, product first in everything you do. That basically means uh, you as a company, whenever you do sales, customer success, marketing, uh, operations, whatever, always think uh, product first. So how could we solve this with the product instead of uh, maybe solving it by adding additional people? Uh, so that's that's uh, one way I like to present it. Another way to look at it is to look at its opposite, which is sales-led growth. Uh, so sales-led growth is basically where you involve people in your entire kind of buying journey, right? So the most typical example is when you go to a software-as-a-service platform, uh, the main call to action is request a demo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you then request a demo. Maybe you speak with a salesperson. Maybe you speak even with a PDR, so somebody before a salesperson. Uh, and you do a demo, and then you do another call, maybe, and and then you decide on maybe on buying. You negotiate contracts back and forth, and then you get to use the product. And then in a product-led growth motion, you switch that around and simplify it by basically allowing users to use the product. Uh, before they speak with anybody to a free trial or a freemium. And then uh, they get to experience the value of the product. And then they get to make the decision either themselves completely alone, uh, maybe as a self-service purchase, mm-hmm. or uh, maybe they schedule a demo after that. But the product becomes a, a key part of the buying journey. And, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, 
so that that's another way to look at it. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that makes sense. So instead of like you know, if you have this capital and you're looking to to invest to grow, right? So you can invest it in hiring a sales team and them doing the work of trying to build that you know that relationship and show the value. It's like let's you know invest yeah. in code and let these ninja you know code warriors do the work in the back end and they're doing the selling for you, right? Is what you're saying? Yeah. So you can yeah. you definitely need a strong product team in a product-led growth company, but yeah. I wouldn't say you completely have to exclude sales. Uh, as I said, that there can still be some people call it sales assist or they call it uh, product experts or whatever you want to call it, but you can build a new type of sales team that is centered around the product, right? So the product is still the main driver for selling, uh, but mm-hmm. the sales team is kind of supporting that journey, right? But the sales mm-hmm. team doesn't become the primary go-to uh, and call to action. Uh, the product is, and then sales is kind of assisting that process. Okay. So if I'm a, I'm, a, I'm thinking of starting a SaaS or, you know, I'm trying to think of going this direction because maybe most are thinking about the sales-led uh, growth strategy. And they're like, okay, I want to optimize this um, and, and structure my, my SaaS like this. What are some tips you, you, you'll tell a SaaS founder that wants to create, you know, maybe not perfect, but the, the most optimized auto-selling product? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so you actually do need a very strong product, right? You mm-hmm. That needs to be a core focus of yours. To build the best product possible uh, is really the essence of product-led growth. You can't fake it, right? And I think that's a big part of it is really... In in a sales-led model, you can kind of fake it, uh, to right, be honest, right? right? Uh, yeah, yeah. You can sell a lot of PowerPoints <laughs> and stuff like that. And then when people get to use the product, it's not really what they expected, right? Mm. But in a product-led growth motion, you can't fake it. So you need to have a strong product. So that's definitely number one. Um, when you then have a strong product, uh, I think there are a couple of things you, you can do. So one is... Um, as I said, make products uh, as part of everything you do. So that goes for your marketing material. Your landing page should highlight the product. Your um, You should have a free trial of some sort so the users can actually go and experience the product on their own. Um, you should ideally have some kind of product-led onboarding. That's what we help with at Userflow. Uh, so users can kind of onboard themselves. Uh, so automate where you can. Uh, and then... Uh, ideally also self-service purchase, right? Using something like mm-hmm. Stripe or something. So have that entire journey, mm-hmm. allow the user to do everything self-service and have sales as a nice to have in a, in mm-hmm. the background. And when you, when you say that word, um, great product, right? I think that's kind of broad, right? So you say, okay, yeah. you can, you can, you can optimize marketing. So they'll come in, they'll understand what's happening. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a free trial now. I can go in and use the product and I have all these, you know, now have all these resources and there's a nice onboarding flow. Uh, things are coming at me nicely, and then if I want to buy, I can choose to buy. That that flows nicely. But then the product itself, you know, yeah. you, how do you think about like this is a good product? Like if I'm if I'm looking at this, like, well, this is exactly yeah. what I'm looking for. I agree. It, it, it's very <laughs> subjective, right? In some yeah, sort, yeah. but really, what it, I see there's two things. One is uh, it needs to solve a problem, right? So your your mm-hmm. product needs to solve a problem for the customer. That's number one, of course. If it's not solving a problem, mm-hmm. it's a useless product, right? Um, so that so that's important, and it needs to be a problem that users want to pay to get solved, right? It needs to be big enough of a problem mm-hmm. that they don't see it as like something uh, that could be nice to solve, but it's not really a, a, a big thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's number one. The second piece is then great UX, and that's where many products that actually solve problems uh, fail, right? They forget mm-hmm. about the UX. They don't focus on. Uh, having a, a great user experience and really 
um, you really need to be uh, kind of fine-tuning all the time the UX, right? Listening to your customers, see where your customers are uh, failing and 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 upgrade your, your product to have a better UX in those areas, right? Um, mm. so, so UX is always this kind of afterthought or whatever, right? And features have the primary focus, but in many ways, if you solve a core use use case with great UX, you have an amazing product, uh, and that's right. what you see with many many great products out there, right? I, I love that you brought that up. So you're saying, you know, features. You mentioned that keyword because that's what most people think about when you say great product, right? You, you mentioned no, it's actually UX. So if a user's yeah. first come in contact with the first time, um, what what are some ways of you can you know roll out those features just in the right way where where most people are thinking like. No, no, I just gave you all these features. Here, look, you have all these shiny things and that's going to make it a better product. But rather it's like, yeah. no, no, hold on. Let's walk you through this journey. What are some ways you can you know, roll it out the right way to give the right solution at the right time? Yeah, I think that's where kind of the, the main onboarding. So let's say a user signs up for the free trial for the first time, right? They, are, they go into your product. Your product might have uh, 10 great features or whatever, right? Uh, yeah. But the, it often, and that go, goes back to this kind of solving the product uh, problem. Uh, you have some kind of main problem that this product solves. Uh, and you need to identify, okay, what is that key aha moment, as you call it? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Maybe it's more than one aha moment, but it's still like, what is that key use case uh, that you want users to discover first? So to use user flow as an example, our core use case is to build uh, onboarding flows inside products, right? So we really want uh, the user to experience how easy it is to build these kind of flows. So that's the first thing we focus on. The first time they log into our platform, we show them an onboarding flow to basically guide them to build their very first flow. And then you can say there are lots of other things to use a flow. There's like user tracking, theme editing, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's all sorts of things you can do with user flow. But we really focus on that core use case of building your first flow. That's the, the key aha moment we want to bring uh, to first-time users. So mm -hmm. that's how you should think about it. Really, what is the core value of your product? Really bring users to that experience first and don't focus on all the kind of shiny add-on things. They will mm -hmm. discover them later on, right? Uh, but really focus on the core of it uh, and, and bring the users to that. Um, uh, mm. and, and how can you help them kind of see the differentiate? So if they're coming in, they're probably said, you know, they're coming in on a free trial or, um, you know, free, free kind of lower pricing tier. So you want to kind of limit yeah. them on how much features they're seeing and you're saying eventually they'll want to see these other stuff. And like, they'll be kind of curious and like, hey, maybe I want to upgrade. Um, how, how can yeah. you help them during that onboarding or even during their journey, uh, help them see it, learn about it, understand the value of the premium features without getting kind of confused while still being on the, the lower lower plan? No, I agree. That's why UX comes in, right? Like uh, mm -hmm. simplifying your, your product so you, uh, you have a great navigation that doesn't overload the user with information, right? Um, I think that's key. Um, and if you have a product with many functionalities, you can consider uh, hiding some of the functionality to begin with, right? That's uh, one approach you can take. Um, I know like tools like uh, HubSpot and so on, they kind of hide some stuff, uh, and then you have to do a pro trials to actually see it. Um, so they definitely know they have a lot of functionality. If we're going to show everything to first-time users, they're going to get uh, information overload. Let's hide some of it. And then they actively have to go and select like a pro trial 
to see the additional functionality, right? Um, mm. So if you have that much functionality, you can do that. If you just have more limited functionality, one thing you can do is kind of show the functionality, but kind of put a pro badge on it or whatever, a badge that kind of says, this is the functionality that has an extra cost. You can look at it if you like, but it's it's uh, not part of the base package, right? Um, right. So, so there, I think there are two approaches and it kind of depends on how much functionality do you have? Are you like CRM, you know, style like HubSpot that is filled with functionality, right? Or are you a more basic uh, product? Right. And, and maybe, you know, speaking about, you know, so you mentioned HubSpot. Is there any examples of, you know, some other SaaS companies that you've seen who've done this really well in terms of their onboarding uh, or even their customer uh, success and sharing that, those uh, features and why you think those, those have been so successful? Yeah, no, I think there are many tools out there. Uh, I would like to think about some, but I think Slack mm. always does a good, good job at like highlighting new stuff, right, in their app. Mm. When there's something new, they kind of highlight, okay, here's a notification. There's something new happening here. You can take use of it. Uh, and maybe it's a, an additional uh, payment uh, and you have to do it, right? Um, mm. So that's is something I've seen. We use a tool called LockRocket as well, which I think does a great job at like highlighting pro functionality. This is something... Uh, I, um, you know, um, they do the batch approach, right? Where it's like clear, okay, this is there. And if you want to play with this, you have to, mm. you can see the functionality, but you have to activate like a pro trial to actually try it out, right? Um, so it's kind of like a mix where they show a batch and then uh, you actually have to activate it to use it, right? But they at least make it available so I can uh, try it. Um, yeah. Well, what was that tool called again? So we'll just put it in, our, in the show notes. Lock, uh, lock rocket. Lock rocket. All right. Okay. Lock rocket. Awesome. Yeah. And then we, of course, have all our great customers. So, like indicative, uh, uh, yeah, it, and so on. Like a lot of these tools are, are using user flow to highlight new features uh, with tool tips or modals or whatever, and mm -hmm. are doing a great job with that. Nice. Makes sense. And then, um, you're talking about your story. Here's the last piece of this, you know, equation is like, okay, you know, you're, you're talking about how great this is and you, but you actually implemented it yourself because this is not just theoretical. Um, you know, you have a high, high growth bootstrap business, you know, scaled to seven figures with only two full-time employees. And then you said you just hired your third. Um, yeah. So what did you guys do? What were the effective channels that helped you guys? What did, <laughs> like, were you guys just like two ninjas working, like, you know, coding in your basement for like two years. And then you came out and was like, here, we have something here. Or, you know, you had all this money. Yeah. And, you know, walk me through that. Like, how did you guys do that? It's probably a mix of that, right? It's, mm -hmm. uh, you definitely need a strong engineer. Uh, so my co-founder, Sebastian, is an amazing engineer, kind of unicorn engineer in many mm -hmm. ways uh, that can do both product and engineering. But I mm -hmm. think what you see in many startups or many successful startups is that that is the case, right? They have some kind of strong engineer, but they still end up becoming more sales-led over time uh, for some reason. Sure. Uh, but, in our, but in our case, we that that's the baseline, right? Have a strong engineer who can build a strong product. Uh, that That's, you know, you, you need that. But then having said that, we always uh, kept a strong focus on building product-led, right? And that means our landing page, the primary call to action is get, uh, sign up for a free trial. Um, and the secondary action is a view a demo and then the tertiary action is schedule a demo, right? So we still offer the demo to be scheduled, but it's really the last resort, right? Uh, so that's where it starts. Then, then when you sign up for the free trial, we have um, uh, product-led onboarding. So we use user flow and user flow, of course, uh, to build our onboarding. 
uh, and and we have checklists uh, also built with user flow to drive the user through that initial uh, realization of value and and convert. Mm-hmm. We have self service purchase uh, on user flow, so most of our customers just buy, sign up, buy with a credit card without ever speaking with us. Um, mm-hmm. We of course uh, have support resources, so strong documentation. We have support chat uh, and all this stuff, right? And then I think another important aspect to support is, and that goes back to the whole UX conversation is, we always think, how can we solve this in the product, right? So whenever we have a support issue, we don't think, okay, we should probably hire some more support people to solve all these support questions we're getting. No, we instead think, okay, why are we getting the same question again and again and again? It must be something that's either hard to understand in our product or Mm -hmm. something we need to change. So we always are very focused on solving those kind of UX challenges that result in um, support questions. And that's how we've been able to scale mm. uh, to a large extent. I think the support burden would have been much higher if we hadn't had that mindset. Basically. Mm. And just to clarify, like you're, you're, you said your co-founder is more focused on you know, product, great engineer. Um, what was your role in this? And then you know, how long did it take you? to get to, to seven figures? And and did you have other people you were kind of contracting out or like, you know, some, some engineers here and there kind of building or you guys are doing everything? No, so we, uh, the product was officially launched in 2019. Uh, I joined in 2021 to build out growth. Uh, so basically built the entire product like growth flow. Of course, Sebastian had made a lot of like baseline stuff like the free trial and the website, but I built all the surrounding things around it. So like, um, basically like uh, email onboarding on the side, you know, some kind of touch points, the support process, all these kind of different things that helps both convert and retain customers, uh, but also a bit more marketing and stuff like that. Um, But uh, so from 2019 to 2020, uh, Sebastian, you can say, was in primary build mode, right? So building the product, making sure it's a great product. Okay. I don't think you need to to spend that. Like he still launched the product, so he had customers and stuff. So it wasn't like uh, he was building in stealth. I think way too many companies build way too long time in stealth, where they should really like launch their free trial uh, a bit sooner, mm-hmm. um, so people can uh, and you can learn from customer feedback and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had he had uh, some baseline revenue, but uh, really in 2021, that's where our growth uh, took up. We grew we grew like six x in AR that year and hit the seven figures uh, mm-hmm. just in 2021. And this year we are we are on a trajectory to to grow not at the same pace, but at a similar strong uh, mm-hmm. strong pace. And what were some of the, the 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 primary marketing channels that you focused on that you know saw really pick up that you know that huge growth? I think one one we are kind of in a red ocean. Uh, so a lot of competition in the user onboarding space. So uh, ad, a good thing in a red ocean market is uh, things like ads because people actually search for that uh, mm-hmm. thing uh, or they search for your competitors or whatever they search for, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so ads is a is a Google ads is like very good for that purpose. But then we also did a lot of thought leadership, right? Uh, so a lot of thought leadership on the product-led growth space, on the user onboarding space uh, is something we've been very successful at, at sharing best practices. Product-led growth is this kind of new thing that everybody's trying to get into, but they're finding it kind of hard because it's really a culture change and mm. you need to um, 
uh, think product first is easier said than done, uh, basically. Yeah. Um, and and that's a, a big part of what we're trying. We're very opinionated. Mm. And, and I think to drive culture changes, you need to be very opinionated. You need to have strong feelings about why this is the right thing, right? And, and mm. why this is the future. And I think we're doing a good job on that. Yeah. Uh, so I would say those are those have been our two primary channels. Mm. But then we also have done, we have done a bit of outbound, like um, maybe some email campaigns or something, but it's not really been the big uh, factor for us. It's really uh, sure. the inbound engine. that So customer mm. referrals is, of course, a big thing as well. Makes sense. So, so running some ads, and then, so once you have a found like a solid product, you know, really focus on you know hitting the ads, and then uh, you know doing some thought leadership, you know, SEO, PR, and getting your name yeah. and brand out there. Makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think as outbound gets harder and harder, that's the way to go, right? Uh, but you can only do that if you have a great product. Uh, because otherwise, it's uh, yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Cool, awesome. This has been this has been really good. Has been uh, love your kind of you know story and you know the the value you gave. I think there's a lot of value that people can get from it. And if they're looking to think about you know SaaS, you know this is a new way of thinking. And I I agree that you know maybe people should start thinking about this way. It's not as you know challenging that you don't now have to build a whole sales team and invest in in uh, you know really you know all that overhead um, and just you know just just be that engineer and look into your product and solve your problem really really well and and let that let the the product sell itself. Right. Um, yeah. so I want to shift I, gear. Um, I agree. Yeah. Uh, love, love to shift, you know, talk a little bit on your, a little bit on the personal and rapid fire, you know, the fun part of this, this interview. So, um, should be just, you know, you know, minute each or less for each of these, these answers. So are you ready to roll? Uh, let's see. Let's see if I can. Let's, uh, let's hear it. it. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, um, you know, outside of work, um, because, you know, it's easy to run into that. People say, you know, I'm, I love my job. That's cool. But what's one activity you enjoy outside of work that gets you into flow state? Uh, so it's basically uh, hiking and biking. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I do hike. Uh, I've uh, Over the last, uh, what, one and a half years during the pandemic, mm-hmm. I've been traveling around the U.S. In dif- living in different states uh, close to national parks uh, awesome. and just hike uh, in the weekends uh, when I'm not working. Love it. Uh, so that's that's been amazing. That's something I love doing, and and also going on my bike, uh, so bicycle, uh, yes. the same thing, right? So getting out in the nature, mm-hmm. enjoying life. Uh, I'm not quite ready for the metaverse. I think we have a pretty nice <laughs> planet, uh, so uh, I'm I'm enjoying it uh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, and it definitely gives. It's my way to meditate, right? It's like hiking or going on a bicycle. Exactly. Yeah, there's a metaverse and there's also Mars. I'm like, we're not ready for Mars yet. Let's just, there's still lots to see there. <laughs> um, what's, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known, um, knowing what you know today and would tell your 25-year-old self? Yeah, it's probably to start a startup, right? I mm. uh, When I got out of university, uh, that was about when I was 25. Mm. You know, the only path was to go into consultancy. If you were an ambitious person, yeah. Back then, that was the way to go, right? Like you went into a cons- IT consultancy or consultancy of some sort because you got like diverse mix of tasks and all that stuff. And yes, that is amazing. But I think uh, you can get exactly the same thing uh, from a startup. Uh, if not more, you learn about business and all sorts of stuff. Um, so so I think, yeah, start a startup uh, mm. is like, uh, and try it out, especially if you... If you feel you have the the privilege to do it right, like and not not uh, not gonna lose your home or whatever, or, uh, <laughs> you can still survive without, by doing it. Um, yeah. But in Denmark, for instance, where I'm from, we have a great welfare system, so it's like 
it mm. would have been super easy to start a startup without in a much risk. And I could have learned a lot from that. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I'm, I I ended up doing it, but I ended up doing it as a 29 year old. And when right. I then got to the US, I saw all these 25 year olds uh, kicking ass. So <laughs> yeah, uh, that I'm a bit envious of that. Love it. Yeah. Get into the weeds and, and learn from, from doing it yourself rather than, you know, doing it for yeah. a big company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to keep growing user flow, meaning, or even just what, what's keeping you up at night these days if it's not about growth? Uh, I think it's it's really, so as I said, we're in a red ocean, right? Uh, so it's always important that we attract more customers towards user flow. So how can we attract more, more customers? But also how can we keep retaining the customers we have and bring value to them so they love our product, right? Um, I think those are the two main things we focus on is always customer centric. How can mm. we build the best product for both new customers and existing customers? Right. Who are, what are the best three resources? It's going to be, you know, books, uh, people, mentors, or just people you follow in the space. Uh, who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years? Oh, that's a, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> questions in one. Uh, I can maybe... I want to give one resource to product-led growth, and that's Wes Bush. He wrote a book on product-led growth uh, that I think have inspired many companies to move in that direction. And I highly, if you haven't read it, highly recommend uh, reading it. Uh, it's a great book. Um, and, and Wes in general has a product-led community that's very strong uh, with a Slack channel and so on. Okay. Uh, so that's definitely one person uh, I looked a lot at. Then uh, you have uh, our my Danish friend, DHH, uh, David Handemar, who made a company with uh, Jason Fried, uh, Basecamp, which is also like a almost bootstrap. They, I think they raised mm -hmm. a bit of money from uh, Jeff Bezos at some point, uh, but uh, uh, that was a strange one. But uh, they, they've managed to, to build a really strong um, SaaS company uh, without uh, being VC-focused uh, and really also keeping this mindset of, don't hire just to hire, you know, really mm. only hire if you need to hire. And they have a very small team, but a very successful companies. And I've seen, I think besides from them, mm. they've written, the, the reason I mentioned them is of course, DJs is Danish, but also they wrote a lot of good books like Rework and so on yeah. about yeah. this uh, stuff. Uh, so that's something I recommend checking out. Mm. But there's been a lot of like success stories lately, like AHA is another big one and MailChimp. Uh, both mm. bootstrap companies who bootstrap to very successful businesses. Uh, so mm. some some companies that inspires me a lot. And then I would mm. say maybe last person. Uh, oh, this is going to be hard. It could have been. Uh, uh, I think I'm going to give him some credit because he's actually he was a big uh, resource for for me in the early days of SaaS. Is uh, Jason Lemkin. Oh, yeah. I think he's more on the sales led side mm. and I hope he will transition mm -hmm. a bit because I think he needs to see that the world is changing towards product led growth more. Mm. Uh, he's very much from the sales led SaaS world. Yeah. So a lot of his advice is sales led. Uh, but still I think he he has helped a lot of SaaS businesses out there to to get great uh, insights and and this uh, SaaS store community is uh, fantastic. Yeah, I also think his, his main reason for that is because I think when Adobe was very, you know, enterprise focused. So I think that was like, uh, how do we get to these big guys and get the decision makers? You know, so I think the sales led, you know, might make more sense at that point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome. All great resources. We'll, we'll add those links to the show notes for people to check out um, and hopefully get some some tips from as well. So uh, yeah. cool. Um, 
What does success mean to you today? Like, obviously, you know, you've had success, you know, consulting, you built a startup and you decided to get back into the game, start all over again. Um, but what does it mean to you today, whether it's personally, business, financial, life? I mean, there's no right answer. Yeah, no. So from a business perspective, back in the days with Cobalt, we wanted to build like the, a big unicorn and stuff like that. And I think I realized over the years that, uh, yeah, that's great. And I hope Cobalt becomes a unicorn. And they're definitely on that uh, um journey, right? Um, mm -hmm. yeah, so that's awesome. But for me personally, it doesn't mean so much anymore, right? Now I just want to build a great business uh, that brings value to customers and can help make me uh, fin financially independent, right? Like uh, I don't have to worry about the uh, finances. Um, so so that, that I think is most important to me now. It doesn't need to be a unicorn necessarily, mm -hmm. um, right? Um, so it's just practicing so, your craft more, right? Exactly. Like building a great business, but not necessarily this kind of VC mm -hmm. way where it's like uh, either you hit the stars or you do nothing, right? You yeah. can build a great business that that uh, mm -hmm. is somewhere in between. Right. Uh, so, so I think that's from a business perspective. Uh, from a personal perspective, it's, as I said, have time to do other things than work, right? I think uh, the people who say, Oh, I'm going to do that when I retire, right? That's the worst excuse ever. Like, uh, <laughs> you basically end up working your entire life. And then when you finally retire, you don't know how to live your life. You just, then you want to go back to work, right? Uh, so, so I think it's important to enjoy life and, and, and not just work, uh, exactly. during, before you retire, right? So, so yeah, uh, go out, travel, take holidays. Uh, you know, I love, I love actually the, the things the pandemic have done to the world where people have, especially here in the US, where, which is a very, compared to Europe, a very mm. work-centric society. Mm. I think in the US even now, they have changed to be less work-centric mm. and uh, be more kind of realize there's more to life than just working. Uh, exactly. And, and I've, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I recommend you, I don't know if you read this book, it's called, I just read it recently called Die With Zero. Um, yeah. And the premise of that is like, yeah, you, you mentioned it's like, yeah, you, you you spend all this time working and then you get to a point where you're older and you try to now experience all these things with, you have the money, but you don't have the health, right? And no. which, what you find is there's an optimum time. I think it's, you know, between your twenties and uh, up to like 38 or 40, um, where that is the best time you should be spending your money because you're, you know, you can make and you have the energy and you also have your health and the, 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 the result of the, yeah. of the experience is going to be so much better versus when you're older and you're like, uh, yeah, I wish I could have done like this, you know, crazy trip. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, backpacking to Europe when you're like 70 is not the same when you're 20, right? So just an example. No, I agree. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, you should climb cool. Everest before you're 75, yeah. yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's been so, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. I think this was fantastic. I really enjoyed talking with you. Um, where, where's the Likewise. best place that people want to, to talk to you, get in touch with you, learn more about user flow? Where, where should they reach out? So LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. I'm on LinkedIn uh, with my name, of course. Uh, and then I'm also on Twitter. Uh, and mm -hmm. then if you want to find out about Userflow, we're on userflow.com. Mm -hmm. And we also actually have two video series there that are quite interesting. One about pro how we are, do product-led at Userflow. Mm -hmm. So basically from end-to-end, -end, how we approach product-led at our own company. Mm -hmm. And then we have one on onboarding best practices. So where you can learn about how to build product-led onboarding uh, for your own business. Awesome. Cool. So guys, listening yep. in, check out userflow.com and make sure to reach out to Esben on LinkedIn. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much once again, Esben, and I uh, appreciate you joining our SaaS District show today. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah.
Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.